This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, I got to chat with Ryan O'Hara, founder of Request for Meeting and former VP of Marketing and Growth at LeadIQ. You'll learn how he uses quantitative and qualitative data to validate product ideas and make decisions, and how he learned to educate his team and tell a story with the numbers rather than just reporting them, and some of the massive cultural changes that drove at LeadIQ, along with a ton more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. I am honored to have you. I first came, I think I said this to you in our, in our DM, um, I first came across you, somehow I saw your, your video of when you were on the beach announcing you were starting a company came into my feed and I was like, what's this? What's this company? So ever since then, I see you all the time. I know you by your avatar, but I'm excited to actually get to chat with you today. So thanks for coming on. Cool. I'm excited. I am excited to let you down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have high expectations uh, given given your LinkedIn profile. If you're listening um, to this, you could start by being like, oh, maybe I should switch this episode. This is going to be bad. Then it sets the expectation that like, if we do better than they expected, like, oh, wow, this right. is cool. Don't That's edit this out. They need to know. They need to know. Oh, yeah. Story. No, this is a pro move. Yeah. Being like, <laughs> I don't know if the, this is a niche episode. And then if you deliver, people are like, wow, that was a lot better than they said it would be. Um, okay, cool. So request for meeting looks incredibly interesting. Um, give me like the 30 second, we'll give listeners the 30 second elevator pitch. What, what led you to create it? And what are you, yeah. what pains are you trying to solve with it? Cause this is like fascinating to me. All right. So, so backstory for people, I worked at lead IQ for almost seven years while I was there. I sold your data to salespeople so they could call and email you. You know, how you get cold calls and cold emails. Sales reps were using lead IQ to do that. Six years of helping people with personalization, teaching them, hey, personalize your prospecting, make people feel special and do this stuff. And no matter what we do, 80% of reps are still just going to send automated emails to you. You get a lot of cold calls. You get a lot of cold emails. Sellers hate being ignored when they get send those cold emails and calls. But the, re the way that they get through eventually is persistence by over emailing you over and over again. But on the buyer side, no one likes getting cold email they're called. I mean, how many times do you get a cold call from somebody like, oh, how do I get out of this call? We're building something where you as a buyer can send a seller to a paywall and they can pay money to get a response from you. And you do that with all your prospecting. Uh, it's called request for meeting. It's pretty cool. If you hit yes and say you want to take a meeting, we have calendar software that instantly books it with the sales reps. You don't do that back and forth. If you hit no, you just give a reason to the sales rep. Uh, the cool part is not every rep pays. So it cuts down the amount of cold outreach you get in your inbox. Um, the people that are using it right now, we've got about 40 companies using it right now, uh, they see usually an 80% 80 redu 80 reduction in the cold emails they get. So um, that's why we built it. That's what I'm working on. I started in July. Um, it's been crazy. Like it's just been every, every day feels like I'm, I'm putting out a fire and then making another fire. It's amazing. I think it's such a cool idea. Um, it's kind of like uh, a friendly agreement. It like works for both sides. It's like, okay, if you want to interrupt me, you can pay me some money. And then it makes sure that the that the pitch is valuable, that you've really like, I'm sure the pitches go up in quality too, because if they're going to pay, they want to make sure it like actually yeah. fits. Yeah. And you know what else no one talks about is for a seller, you have to do a ton of steps. Would you rather write 15 or 20 emails and do a bunch of cold calling or would you rather do one and get a response from somebody? I would pay for that time back so that I can focus on another, another account. And when we're doing discovery... One of the things we can talk about today is even doing qualitative interviews and getting some information for discovery and, and doing the whole like lean startup thing. Reps get a lot of value out of hearing no. If you tell someone no and say, hey, no, this is my reason why, 
it's way yeah. it's way valuable for a seller because now they don't have to go chase up a tree that doesn't actually have an endpoint. Yeah, I'm thinking about all the product marketing like ramifications from that. Like, no, the timing's not right. And then like, well, what would be the right purchase trigger? Like, or it doesn't solve the pain I feel. And you'd be able to maybe you're trying to serve multiple segments and you find like one, you know, using request for meeting, you find that one segment is especially hot and the others are kind of colder. So you know where to focus your energy. It seems like there's a lot of good takeaways there. Yeah, the average buyer gets prospected almost 800 times a year. You get prospect about three wow. times a day, most people, either between call, LinkedIn, or email. Um, it's too much. And the sellers aren't bad people for doing it. They have to do their job. And 60% of outbound revenue usually comes for, at a SaaS company. It's usually coming from outbound. You get bigger deal sizes. You get to handpick who you're going after. Even if you use marketing tech and sales tech, you can't directly pick the accounts you want to go after. Um, so we're trying to build something on that end. Eventually, when we have enough people using it too, We'll build a little place where you could literally log in and find a buyer you want to pitch to and just request a meeting that way instead of writing an email. Um, and that's the whole angle of what we're trying to do. We're trying to eliminate cold emails. You shouldn't have to do them anymore. Yeah, I love the idea of like, I would like if it was relevant, it's like, tell me in one sentence the pain you're going to solve for me. And then if I'm interested, I click and I like watch a video. And now I want to keep it to three minutes, but I'll watch a video of you explaining how. So I interviewed someone on the podcast. It was interesting. Um, who was it? Yeah, D, D Acosta was saying at Metadata was saying he's really big on like, he feels like not enough cold outbound people are saying a lot of them try and tease that they understand your problem and that they can solve it, but not how they're going to solve it. And it's like, just tell me how you, how you solve it. And if I'm intrigued, I'll click open, you know. I did, I did a study with some people when we were doing discovery for this thing. You know that there are like 60% of buyers will get a cold email and not understand what a company does? That doesn't surprise like me. Like they, they will get the cold email and be like, I have no idea what this company does. It's wild. So much wasted time and effort. This is very cool. I'm, I'm intrigued by this tool. I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of follow along in the journey for sure. Well, if you're listening um, and you want to do it, obviously we're done pitching. We, we'll t we're going to give some nuggets, all right? We're going to drop a full 20 <laughs> piece here, all right? You're going to have to get a partner and share these nuggets today. But I, I it's it's something I'm very passionate about. I, I just don't understand, like, sales has been the same for over 200 years. It's reps chasing buyers. Buyers get no incentive for it. Our time's super valuable today. Like, every, you only have one life, <laughs> and you only have so much time that you can spend. Uh, and Marketing departments will go spend millions and tri well trillions of dollars on on things like Google AdWords, LinkedIn. Uh, you'll buy sales tech data, all that stuff. I'd rather just buy a response from my buyer, and that's yeah. that's kind of the flip side. And I'd rather give that money to the person that's getting pitched. So that's that's how it works, and that's what we're trying to do: take the customer acquisition costs that us as marketers spend, give it right back to your customers that you're trying to prospect and do. Uh, we normally say this at the end, but I'm just going to shout it out now. So if you're interested at this, go to <laughs> requestformeeting.com and follow Ryan O'Hara on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We got too pitchy. We got carried away. It's we got good. Carried it's away. good. All right. Let's get into it. So, um, okay. So I, for listeners, we're going to conduct this. This We have a, a cool opportunity with Ryan here because um, we'll conduct the interview in two parts. Uh, Ryan, like he said already, has years of experience leading marketing at Lead IQ. So uh, in the latter half of the interview, we'll get to some of that. But I think what's interesting, you know, in, as we explore on this show, how do you how you know SMBs can use data to grow? You're in a unique place to a lot of companies we talk to because you're new. So 
I was saying to you, you know, before the call, you can speak from a unique place of you do not have a lot of historic data and the benefits that go with that, that a lot of people do that I'm talking to. So a way to start out, I think is, um, as a new company without historic data, what kind of struggles are you like coming from something where you had a lot to rely on a lot, even if you didn't use it a ton to now having nothing. I mean, you've already rattled off quite a few like stats that you know about your target market and industry and things like that. What are the ways that that kind of hurts? And what are some ways you're trying to kind of like overcome that? Like, are you trying to set KPIs like fairly early? Do you have goals you're aiming at? How are you thinking about that? Yeah. So I think a lot of companies, they get caught up when you're getting a company going, you get too focused on the product and you don't focus enough on the problem. So our whole iteration of requests for meeting, I've been working on this thing for a couple of years now. Um, in July, I kind of felt like I had validated enough to go work on this full-time, which is what made me leave Lead IQ. Um, you got to do discovery and you got to do validation on stuff. And I think people focus too much on building the product out and you got to have a right sample size. If you're doing something, I generally speaking, if you're doing qualitative research, I think it's important to have about 30 people that you talk to in a particular role and then go get 30 more from a different role and then 30 more from another role. We can talk about cold emailing people and ask them for that if you're interested in that after. Um, and then after you come up with something, you need to validate it. And you got to go back to those 30 people and be like, hey, I, I took what you said. This is what I came up with. What do you think? And you go bring that back and forth to someone. It's way easier to go do that than build a product and completely fail and fall on your face. So we've been doing like, we spent a couple years moonlighting when I was in Elite IQ, like reaching out to people and cold emailing them and be like, hey, I want to talk to you about cold email. I want to figure out how do you deal with it when you get, it gets in your inbox? Why didn't you respond to this email? Why didn't you respond to this email? And I used to ask buyers this all the time over and over and over again. Um, the hard part is knowing if you have the right sample size for it. Because if you make, an, oh, if you make a conclusion from something, um, I'll give you a really good example. If I put a poll up on LinkedIn and I ask people to take it, I'll get you know four or 500 people to answer that poll. Um, you know what happens after you get about 30 or 40 of them is the poll results stay the same. Like mm. that's typically what you see on this stuff. So the sample size that you pick, I like going with a sample size of 30 for a smaller amount when you're doing validation and figuring this stuff out. And then I like to expand it higher if it's something that's like, I want to collect as something that's statistically significant. If you're getting a data point, that's when you need more people. Um, so we've concluded a lot of this stuff through asking people, hey, how often do you get cold emailed a day? And I know there are 220 business days. Most people don't get cold emailed on Saturdays and Sundays. Throw it in a spreadsheet, use some conclusions, grab all the sample data of how often people answer those questions, and I collect that data point. Now I have a qualitative data and a quantitative data point. The, qual- the quantitative data point, I needed a larger sample size to get. So that's how I'd approach it if you're a marketer listening to this and being like, hey, how do I measure and get these data points and stuff? Go send stuff to your customers. Uh, the other thing you need to do is we regularly, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring into lead IQ a little bit, but we regularly would go hit up reps and ask them what their reply rates were. We would constantly ask Mm. people and do state of prospecting uh, surveys constantly throughout the year. It's not something we're like, hey, in November, we want to do a state of prospecting. Let's start emailing people in October. No, we would do it throughout the year as a whole program to get all these data points and stats so that we could then use those stats throughout the year in our content calendar. Yeah, this is really... um super helpful. And I feel like boots on the ground here. So when you 
So effectively, when you were started, like when you were moonlighting, it was like a side hustle. You were validating the idea. You were you had a hypothesis of which roles this was relevant to, and you'd start. So did you did you do like did you stick to what you said like thirty per role, and then once you got thirty, you were like, okay, let me see. That was thirty CEOs. Now let me do thirty VPs of marketing or something like that. Yeah, like we would rotate through. And now what we're doing is we're actually building our next features of products with like little hacks to figure stuff out. So I'll give you an example. I hopefully I'm not spilling too many beans here. But um, whatever, we're, we're all friends. Hey, if you listen to this and you're a competitor or you're thinking about doing something <laughs> like this, don't go steal this. All right, be my friend. Um, uh, you have a gentleman's agreement if you, uh, as a listener, to not yeah, steal please, ideas. Yeah, please, please be classy. <laughs> or gentle ladies too, gentle ladies. Yeah, that's but, right, gentle um, people. Um, gentle people. Um, all right, one of the things that we've been playing around with is the primary way that we grow is people install a plugin a Gmail plugin. And when they get cold emailed, they send them to request for a meeting and the sellers go and fill out a credit card and write an elevator pitch and then send it. And that's how that whole thing works. Smart. We've been experimenting with inverting it. What if a buyer offers money to a seller? I'm sorry. What if a seller offers money to a buyer? Um, and rather than have my dev team go build something, put in a sprint for it, we're actually just running an experiment. We just made an email address. We asked one of our friends in sales to give us a list of customers they want to prospect into. And we are firing off emails to them from one third party to another third party, offering them money to respond to the pitch. And when they click in, it's just a simple type form. We're using that to collect data on this because I don't want to build anything if it's not going to work, but it'd be a waste of time. And sure, there's all these like product nerds out there are probably like, oh, well, it's not really the product. No, it's what I'm doing is I'm testing the problem and seeing if the problem and this, the MVP, even worse than MVP version of the solution is something that's viable and can work. And so what we've been doing is we've been rotating through this study, testing it out with people every week and watching the data and tweaking little things to see if it gets above a certain amount. And if it does, we'll build something. If it doesn't, we'll scrap it and, and we didn't waste any dev time doing it. Yeah, I love this. Um, I, I, was, I was consuming a lot of thought leadership on different ways to validate business ideas or like test MVPs and a recurring one I heard I like at one point in my life had built like a little micro SaaS product for like small brick and mortar retailers and mm-hmm. um and when I was you know going through that process one of the things I think it was Noah Kagan did like had a really good write up about it um and I know there's like the lean startup methodology and and all that stuff but yep. his, the one point that stuck with me that he said and, and oh and Gagan Biani when he was uh there was some food startup he was doing um after Udemy both of them articulated this concept of like people if you have a product idea whether it's like a feature for SaaS company or like a brand new company he said like if you go to your target audience and you say hey like what do you th- like what do you think of this idea everyone's like this is a cool idea everyone will say to you like this is a cool idea um, or like, yeah, sounds super interesting. And where the rubber meets the road is like, can you input some sort of like paywall to like this scrappy project? Or like, can you put a pitch deck that looks or like a simple website mm-hmm. that's like sign up early for a discount? Can you get people to actually like input credit card info? And or like, can you get people to actually join, you know, join an email list or a wait list or things? Because people just giving feedback and raising their hand, it's like amazing the number of people that will not come through and end up buying later on. Like when yeah. it comes time to actually ship the product. It's kind of like that old phrase. It's actually kind of a fake phrase, I think. But like, there's an old phrase that like, if Henry Ford asked people like what type of car they wanted, they'd want a faster carriage. 
like back in the day. I don't, I don't know. I don't actually think it's a real quote. I think it's made up, but <laughs> I've heard, I know I, I've heard, I've heard conflicting things. I've heard that he didn't say that, but yeah, the, it's a good I, point. I, I've been uh, to promote requests for meeting. I I've been doing like a web series called building a startup where I like, I basically film like six minute episodes of me talking through what we're doing and stuff. Um, it's meant to be entertaining and cool, but it also gives me a chance to make music because I like making music and stuff. Um, and doing voiceover work, like I do my deep voice. No, but um, uh, <laughs> on the one of the episodes I talked about uh, when I went to the University of New Hampshire, um, which is where I went to college, um, we did a study my senior year where in my market research class where we were trying to figure out what the future of cell phones would be. So we went to malls and locations and we basically went up to people and tried to solicit them to answer a quick survey about like, hey, we're trying to do research on the future of cell phones. What features do you want in a cell phone? And we asked people like, hey, do you like, do you want, uh, we listed a bunch of features of things that were coming out. It was before the iPhone had been launched and stuff. So people didn't, you know, most people were comparing it. Most people were asking for a flashlight, longer battery life, um, and better cell service. No one asked for touchscreen. No one asked for uh, faster internet speeds. No one asked for apps and GPS and all these other features stacked on top of each other. And we know the rest is history. I mean, if we had actually just listened to the market on some of this stuff, we probably would still be using Blackberries. Yeah, that is a really good point. Because some, it's, it's good to hear that example put with it because I've heard that adage thrown around sometimes or so much. And sometimes I think it is like used out of context, you're like, oh, is that really a stretch? But that's a good, I mean, yeah, there are definitely use cases where it's true, where what the market would tell you is just more of an existing thing and what they really want or what they'd really value is something that they're not thinking of yet or can't imagine yet. Yeah, so like what you have to do is there's data that you can collect that's useful, but you have to know like, you need to also know like, hey, I, I know this is this data seems accurate right now, but like, is it really? <laughs> like, like some of it's also like focusing on selling a cons, like it's selling a vision of something. Like I'm actually selling what I'm, I could keep hearing from people all the time, like, Hey, yeah, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. And I'm, I am hearing that obviously in the market with people using our product, but I'm also like, I know people don't like cold email. I know sales reps don't like sending it. And I know buyers don't like getting it. Mm. Like that's, that's a vision. That's something that's bigger. And it, it, the way we get there, we'll figure it out if it's not the thing we're doing right now. Um, so right. that's kind of, so that's kind of a like, big part of it. So like right now you're fixing the existing thing, but ultimately you're kind of looking around the bend and seeing like, Hey, why, like why spend the rest of the time fixing an existing thing when maybe there's like a whole different way to do this? Yeah. Like, I, like I could easily go make a quick inbox hack thing that would do mail filtering or something and then have that be a business, but that's like a $10 million business. And I want to build something that's a billion dollar business. Like, yeah. The, pr the problem that I want to solve is much bigger. And that's, that's that like sales reps and buyers both deserve respect. And I can't, if you can use data for that stuff, but you can't let it cloud, like what the actual vision is of what you want to build and where you're going on this stuff. So that's, that's how I think about it a lot. And I think that like having that belief system is really important. The other part is, and we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, but like, I see a lot of people that collect analytics on their product. They collect data. They do, if you're a marketer, you're collecting stuff on like how effective were these different channels, you're doing attribution, all that stuff. You can't let it slow you down. I see so many marketers, and this is something that I was really important for value for me at Lead IQ. I'm in the volume business. I would rather put out three or four pieces of content a week 
and have different at-bats at getting users to keep seeing lead IQ everywhere. And same with requests for meeting. We're getting there. We're just getting to that skill phase right now. But um, I would rather have people see us over and over and over again than spend six hours looking at spreadsheets trying to figure out the data. And I know it's an unpopular opinion, but marketers spend way too much time looking at data and need to spend more time doing shit. And th th that's like, they get, uh, it's the, the phrase I always hear is paralysis by analysis or whatever, or mm -hmm. analysis by paralysis here. Um, you should look at data, but like for an hour a week, <laughs> like right. do right. stuff. Like I see, I see too many people like, we're going to crunch these numbers and do this stuff. And let me try this. So I'm going to put a credit card in and we'll get some Google AdWords stuff going. We'll make some landing pages. Let's look at how they're converting. Okay. 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 It's like, no, do stuff, create at bats, be a creator, make stuff and put it out there in the world. I think a better way of doing stuff when you go to market on stuff is like run it like you're running a late night talk show. Like if you watch any of the, basically I love telling this story always a comparison, but from marketing strategy perspective, um, in 1993, Johnny Carson retired. And when Johnny Carson retired, every network tried to launch a late night program. They all tried to get mm. these different hosts. They tried to get stars. Like Dana Carvey had a show. Um, John Stewart had a show. Uh, go down the list, Steve Letterman, Jay Leno, Conan, uh, Craig Kilborn. You go down this list of all these people. Everyone was trying to take that crown from Johnny Carson because for 30 years, everyone watched Carson. And then when he leaves, there's this giant hole at 1130 of who's going to go watch these shows and stuff. Those, those orgs and those different shows, all of them had to put out content four days a week, no matter what. It didn't matter if someone was sick or they, the numbers didn't work. What do we do for a show today? They didn't just stop. No matter what, at 1130, they had to go film. Usually some of them would film a little earlier, but no matter what, at 1130, there had to be a show that would go out to the network and broadcast. And that's how you should run stuff as a marketer. Like I, I think that's a much better approach than being disabled, thinking about like, well, this data is showing it's a waste of, like, I understand the money thing. Spend more of your time on free stuff so you don't have to worry about the money if you don't have that data being collected. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like, what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Sorry if I'm all over the right. place, by the way. I'm just trying to get all that information out. It's great. It's all great. It's all great. Uh, um, I'm going to, I made a note on my little notebook here to, uh, to go back to something later that I want to earmark uh, for your new company, but, but I want to stay on this, on this track. So 
when it comes to what like when you were at lead iq was there an output metric or an output goal you aimed at then did you narrow down like we're on these three channels do this level of output across these many channels every week and then what did that what did checking into like finger to the wind know that you were going the right direction look like like what's that balance of not being you know paralyzed by analysis Yep. But at the same time, not doing something in perpetuity that is not yielding any results. How did you think about that problem? The two most important things that we did, the first number is revenue. Is revenue continuing to grow? Cool. If revenue is continuing to grow, I'm happy with it. Same with pipeline. Obviously, you need pipeline to get revenue. We would go and try and attribute stuff. The problem is a lot of the stuff that we would do would be organic or it would be direct. And when you do direct or organic, you don't know where that person came from. In fact, I, like, I don't want to disclose stuff on Cooley to Lead IQ because they're awesome. They're really great people there. But like, um, we know, we know that we were getting, we knew that we were getting a lot of our traffic from direct and organic. Like that's where we were getting a lot of people coming, which means that they would hear about us. The second most important thing to measure is a simple question that's been around for decades. And it's, how did you hear about us? Every, and, and again, it comes back to sample size. We would go and send out uh, we would constantly send out stuff asking people every year, how did you hear about us? And we'd list out a ton of channels. It would be a one survey thing. What's your email? If you put your email in, you enter to win a thousand dollar gift card on Amazon. Literally pick a good amount, a big amount. Don't do something that's tiny, like a $20 gift card. It's dumb. Do you like a big gift card for this and say, Hey, I'll get, I'm going to pick one person in this list, thousand dollar gift card. Tell us how you heard about us. And, and if they, uh, what we did is we, we built it in type form. We'd have a list of all the different channels and things that we did that year. We'd have them pick. If they picked word of mouth, we'd make a conditional question that would say, cool, who? Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's like a really easy thing you can do in type form or Qualtrics or whatever survey monkey, whatever thing you're using for your surveys, if you can make a conditional question, we'd say who? And if they don't remember, no big deal. It's fine. But if they remembered it, those are the people we'd go get do, that we'd go get for webinars the following year. Those are the people we'd go get do blog, guest blog posts. Those would be the people we'd go do social posts with. Those are the people we do fun, cool stuff with. We'd have them on our podcast. Um, really easy, simple thing that people don't ask, and that is way more important than like oh, I spent sixty thousand dollars on Google AdWords and only got six leads from it. One turned into a customer. It's like that's fine, but like that's stuff that doesn't take that long to set up. The things that take right. long to set up are the things we're doing right now. We're sitting on a podcast, talking for an hour, um, asking and pushing and, and, and doing this stuff. And what's great is like, if you put this episode out and you tag me and you give me a clip, I'm going to go put it out on my network. And I have 17,000 followers on LinkedIn that will then go see this too. You're basically using me for organic growth on this thing. And if you ask that question and they say, I found you from Ryan O'Hara, you go do stuff with Ryan O'Hara again. Right. Um, it's really simple. And I, that those are much more meaningful ways of getting communication, figuring out what channels work, in my opinion, than like trying to like run an attribution report and automate it and stuff. And what stinks is sales is never going to be happy with your answer. <laughs> if you're working mm -hmm. like at a, a B2B SaaS company, hopefully I'm not like saying stuff that's negative or anything, but like sales will never be happy with your answer. They'll always think there aren't enough leads. There's not enough pipeline. And I don't believe that these leads are coming from X. That's like what's going to happen to every organization that you work at, even if you buy all these different attribution things. Um, mm. It's much better to just get a sample set of like, look, these are 
a hundred people that said this, this is how they found out about us. That's why we're doing this stuff. And then you have to figure out how to communicate that. That's actually something I needed to grow on myself that I'm learning now is like getting better at communicating how that can. Like, and then getting that data and telling a story with it. Okay. Okay. I got it. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, now we have another thing we need to talk about. So I'm just trying to keep it all together. This is awesome. Um, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm a little all over the place. It's no, been a while. <laughs> no, no, dude, this is, this is really, uh, this is, it's just a lot. I want to cover it. So inside. You're letting the bat it's, out of the cage, dude. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, with, so going back to like the attribution thing, do you think that that's something, something I've been thinking about is, is another area where people get bogged down people will even look at like the self-reported like that and say like, Oh yeah, but like that's incomplete first touch, last touch. Like maybe it was like, there might've been three, yep. uh, you know, like there might've been three interactions that they had with your brand across three different channels. And the one they remember is the one listing on the survey. In your opinion, is that an example of marketers getting too bogged down? And it's like, this is what came to mind. Yeah. Therefore it made an impact. Therefore do more of it. We, and we did this, by the way, we bought, we, all our investors were like, Hey, you guys need to get attribution going. So by the way, not trashing the investors. It's what every company does. Sure. We, they're like, Hey, you guys need to get attribution going. We know we see you everywhere, but we need proof of stuff happening. You should do this. So we went and dumped money on attribution software and it'll tell you first touch, last touch or multi-touch. Obviously you set up weights and look at it and you look at the report and stuff. At the end of the day, you get the data and you know, what ends up happening is you're like, it's not as useful as, Hey, how did you hear about us? Like the thing, the thing that person remembers is probably more important than, than, uh, what your software is going to tell you. And I, I know, I do think you need that information, especially for paid. If you're spending money online and doing anything with like sure ads or, uh, paid social, any of that stuff, you should absolutely track that stuff and keep track of it to help understand where to optimize your budget and where to spend money on stuff. But the, the core thing is I've got a team of six people in marketing. What should they spend time on? And the answer is whatever the customer says when they take that survey. Yep. Um, I, I, it makes no sense to me why people don't ask it up front too. Like I, I think sign up pages should have this. How did you hear about this? Yeah, completely agree. We just added this to our, uh, in a really unobtrusive way to our sales booking flow. Like we have like a product led growth route where you can just like start the free trial and get onboarded if you want, or if you want to talk to a salesperson, you can. And we've added it there. I love the idea of the survey because it's like a catch-all. Like there's a lot of like people that do the self-serve route and onboard to the product. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's nice to be able to like hit them with it afterwards. I also think, so on, so on the activities that, you did that that fed into this survey to measure the efficacy of them when you saw okay these three channels you know these people these these people that are referring us whatever it was are yeah. driving the most would you then go back like did you set output goals for this like okay now let's increase the cadence of these and drop these other channels that like did not get articulated much we would do like, it, we would almost have these huddles where we'd, we'd go look at the data. What, by the way, plug to data box on this stuff. Like it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it, but we would go huddle and go into a meeting screen share and just be like, what's working. Okay. How do we do more of this? And the main driver we're always trying to do is just make sure we hit our revenue goal. 
and our revenue goal usually is we want three X pipeline of whatever, like, and this is going to be the same thing for request for meeting too. I want three X pipe of what my revenue goal is because only one third of that will probably end up closing on, on that end. Um, the other part that I think gets a little underrated is also keeping track of who's already a customer and them getting, getting an impression with you. Because if, if you think about it, marketing is really all about creating context. So like when you're going to market and stuff, you're creating context, you're creating excuses to stay in front of someone's mind and keep reminding them that you exist. Yep. And it's yep. not just push notifications and emails and stuff. It's them happenstance and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I know these guys. Oh, I see this, I see this person over and over and over again. You want to build a deeper connection than being a lead in a system with a lead status. Like there's a, there was actually a, a study done uh, in the early 90s. This actually is kind of, relates to a talk track that I do sometimes when I do speaking at places and stuff. But that same example of Johnny Carson uh, retiring, there was a survey that was done at the University of New Hampshire um, where they called people and said, hey, how do you feel about Johnny Carson retiring? They cold called a bunch of people to do research for a project at the communications department. And they found that people related Carson retiring to a parent dying because they had watched him for 30 years wow. every night at 1130. And now this dad of TV is no longer on TV or granddad at that point, probably because he was a lot older. Um, he passed away a couple of years later. Um, he just, uh, people were devastated by this. And the reason is because if you're exposed to somebody every day, um, you think they're, they're your friend. It's like a, you feel like you know that person. We all have podcasts that we probably all listen to now. And you feel like you know the people that are on those podcasts because you yep. listen to them all the time. And Someday we're going to have those people in our lives pass away and we're going to be really bummed out about it. Like I was thinking about that the other day. I was listening to, um, hey, I might listen to Bill Simmons podcast or something. And I'm thinking like, shit, someday Bill Simmons is going to be dead and that's going to be a bummer. Like, but the, the thing that, the thing that's happening here, um, to bring it back home here is you can't measure that with just a lead and attribution. It's like, mm -hmm. how strongly do I feel connection to this brand because of that person that works there? And that's really what companies are. We're just a bunch of collections of people. Right. We have, we're a bunch of collections of people that make a product that's solving a big mission. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I heard someone say the companies that win in the future will be the ones where uh, you can name the people that work there. And I think you're seeing that a lot at LinkedIn. It's like, it's like there's this dynamic that happens that yep. is, to me, more complex than the attribution model of like referral or ambassador or something, because what it really is, is I'm following you for your, for your knowledge and the insights that you share. I I'm after the second or third kind of nugget that you're dropping on LinkedIn. And it's really compelling to me. Um, I'm going to look and see where you work. And I like kind of do like the profile view thing. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. They, they work at this company. I've never heard of that company. What does that company do? And then that's it. I store like the hero headline from the homepage in my brain with that avatar. And it's like, this is this person this is where they work and you follow them and follow them. And that is often enough when I think about my behavior that when it comes time at Databox or wherever, they're like, hey, we need a software solution. It's like, once we're in that category, it's like, oh, let's just check this one out first. So it, to, you know, to kind of like go along with what you're saying, I feel like the familiarity thing, it doesn't even have to be like super strong. Sometimes the people aren't even posting about what their company does that much. It's just like, Hey, you're a, fr you're a friendly, familiar face who I 
see all the time in my feed and you share valuable knowledge that's unrelated sometimes to your category. Um, but that is sometimes enough to push over the edge and be the first company that makes it to the top of the shortlist, you know? I'll prove I'll prove it to you right now. If you go on Instagram and you look at TBS, uh, is a good example, the network TBS. TBS has 125,000 followers on Instagram. TBS employed Conan O'Brien for what? I think 12 years after he got kicked off of the, the Tonight Show. Conan O'Brien has 1.7 million followers on Instagram. Tell me that people relate to a brand more than a person. Right. Like there's hundreds of examples on the internet of this. Um, and that's a good way of thinking about it. So like it's, it's really not just like I, when I'm thinking about marketing, I'm not just trying to go to market and get as many numbers as possible and, and figure out attribution and how I'm spending stuff. It's also like, is this person a super fan? I'd rather have six super fans in a room uh, that really care about my company than 10 leads that don't give a shit about me as a company, mm. as a company, not me personally. I mean, like 10, you know what I mean? And that's, that's how to think about it a lot with this stuff with like, there's, there's, there's actually, I think some of the innovation that could happen in analytics is figuring out how passionate someone is about you. And it's, I don't know if it's MPS. I know people try to pass off net promoter score. Everyone probably knows what that is here, right? Like, I don't explain that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. What's up marketers? Hey, um, <laughs> like MPS. I'll get, is cool. I'm going to get yelled at by Pete, by the way, by our CEO for dot clear. He always is like, say the acronym. Don't like do the three letter thing. All right, net promoter score. Know. It's it quick. Two, 10 seconds net promoter score it's basically you ask people how likely they are to recommend you to someone else and that's a good measurement of health of your company how much people care about you passion all that stuff there's like a whole thing about it um there might be something else there like how maybe i there might be maybe there's a new thing we can invent right now in this podcast a connection score how connected do you feel to the people at this company yeah that might be a that might be a cool one to actually measure and, and figure out i don't I'd love I'd love to see that and think about it. Like I, I think that there's some innovation you could do on the analytics side uh, to think through. Like how do we measure that? One hundred percent. I want to go back to something you said uh, that you grew in this time as in telling stories with data. This is something we don't talk a ton about here. Can you kind of unpack what you mean by that and what what did that progression look like? Like what did yeah. What did sharing the data with your team look like before to where like by the end you had evolved to telling a better story with the data? I'm smiling for people just listening to the audio of this, but um, at first I would look at the data with people that I was working with and then we would just do shit and I wouldn't explain any of the reasons of why we were doing stuff. Um, and that was wrong. Um, and in hindsight, I spent too long doing that without communicating and telling people about the data that we had collected that told us what's working, and what's not working. Um, I actually was that think, out of a just like was that out of assumption that they like would come to the same like they they can see the numbers, they come to the same conclusion as you, or just like just listen to me, I like trust me, I got it. Yeah, like, I think I think it was the trust me, I got it theory. <laughs> but like like let's say that request for meeting gets acquired and I go back to a marketing or I move back into a marketing role somewhere else or being a marketing leader somewhere. The big thing that I learned, it took a couple of years at Lead IQ is that like the real thing you need to do is not show data. It's not necessarily to tell a story of, of it. I actually think it's really about being an educator, teaching people what the data means. And I never did that for the first three or four years there. And when you go from having three people working at your company, because I was the first business hire to uh, having 
a couple hundred, you really need to do that. And you like, you have to teach people that like, why are we like, I'll give you a really good example. Our big thing we did at lead IQ is our brand was a gesture archetype for brand archetypes. So we tried to make all our stuff really entertaining, really engaging. We tried to be funny. Um, when our two top competitors, zoom info and discover work merged, all these different data providers out there were writing blog posts, about like what this means for the space. Oh, Hey, Hey, Hey. And I had already done research that showed that the content that we did that was funny and silly had more engagement on social, usually way more engagement, way more shares, way more comments. And then the people that actually we engaged with that were customers would feel more loyal to us because they felt that connection from doing the silly brand stuff. Um, we would go measure that stuff out. We made a video online on social where I, I announced in the company of like, it was the year that the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. I was like in the company of the, the uh, LA Rams, Buzz Aldrin. And I went through a couple examples of people. I announced that we're proud, proud to announce that we're now in second place. Because <laughs> like we were in third place before they merged. And then we had everyone at the company in the office come break into the video. And we did a dance party. Like That's just awesome. really funny, silly thing. And like one of my most viewed videos we ever made at Lead IQ. Like we, I think on, we, we had everyone that was in the dance party also posted it online too. And we even had people from Zoom Info and Discoverboard messaging me being like, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> but uh, uh, like just, just really cool, like really fun idea. I didn't, I like, I probably should have explained the logic of how we did it. Like we weren't shooting at the hip. It was an engineered video that we knew that would get a lot of views and engagement um, and help us take over a story. Like we were trying to newsjack sort of not to be negative to zoom info or discover they're cool companies too. But like we were trying to newsjack that story so that when the dialogue came up about anyone talking about this big merger in the sales space, they'd be like, Oh, did you see what lead IQ did? And that kind of turned into like trying to make something that was contagious and take over that stuff. Um, there were analytics in it and I did a really bad job at it teaching and telling that story. What I should have said is, Hey everyone, we have looked at every social post and every video that we made on LinkedIn the past two years. These were the adjectives we used to describe them. This is a big trigger event right now that we could hijack and take over. So we're going to take those fundamentals from those other engagements and posts that we've measured and apply those principles to making this video and writing this script and filming this out really quick. I didn't do that. And that's an example of like hmm. something I got better at as time went on with telling that story. And the way to do it is to teach. It's not to just say this. I see so many people that come in and you're like, we ran this campaign. This is how many leads we got. There's so many opportunities. There's so much pipeline. It's like, that's cool. Why don't you show people like, like, hey, so the way we make decisions, we look at these three numbers. The reason we look at these three numbers is X, Y, Z. This is what we do with the list after the event. Um, this is what worked. We tried these other events in the past and these ones didn't work. These are the inputs. Like, I actually think you need to share that stuff, not only because it's, it builds trust and shows you as an authority and like, helps everyone understand what's going on. I also think it's more entertaining. Like it's more yeah. interesting. You feel in on it. If you actually understand the logic of how you did it, a salesperson at a company should understand why marketing is making the decisions that they make. And it's not personal. It's just like, like edu taking that data and educating into an interesting story. It's fun to do that. We love marketing stories. Um, this year in uh, movies, Ben Affleck's directing a movie about uh, Nike recruiting Michael Jordan. They're going to make a whole feature length and Matt Damon's in it. He's playing like they're doing a whole movie about it. Moneyball was an awesome movie, right? Moneyball is basically a marketing slash sales movie. 
even though it's about um, baseball and analytics and stuff, the real story is, is about going against the status quo and trying to try doing something unique. I mean, whether it worked or not, I think a lot of it had to do with pitching in the Oakland A's bullpen, but that doesn't matter. What's not digressing. The story is really <laughs> cool. We all love business movies. And the reason that we love business movies is because it it's usually educating someone on how they crack something that was different. And we all get yeah. like in, in the business world. I love those movies. You probably like them too. You want to create that same experience when you're educating and teaching people internally at your company about what's going on. And mm. that's the story you should tell. Sorry if that was too long of an answer. I was trying to just iron it home, be a teacher. I love it. No, this is um, uh, incredibly helpful. What are some of the, as you made that progression in your skill set, and that was a lesson that you began to implement as you were more transparent with your analytics process and you ed you use the data to educate not just you know kind of make make decisions or whatever without explaining it what were some of the results like is there anything major in shift in the team like did you see more yeah. ownership did you see them then taking like oh this is how ryan thinks i can apply that same thought processor did, did you find that they were more contributing or felt more ownership of what they were doing like what were some of the takeaways there yeah. So like, I'll give you an example. The, the, the video we talked about earlier, that was really silly. Um, sales reps came to us and said, I want to make a video like that. And you know what, you know what I just got? I got somebody that talks on deals that are contracts sometimes for 80 or a hundred thousand dollars to come to me with product expertise, knowing the space. And I got them to say, I want to be your Muppet. <laughs> And that's super valuable. They know yeah. they're talking to customers more than I, like marketers should be talking to customers every day and doing this stuff. But like, I literally have an army of people that are constantly doing that. And you know what happens at most companies? They go like, oh, that salesperson's a dummy. I don't want to talk to them. You're trusting these people talking to like major, major corporations, huge publicly traded companies. And, and uh, when you do that education, I, what would happen is I'd go on business trips and hang out with people on the sales team. I'd hang out with people um, on product. And what was great is like, I didn't have to spend 20 minutes trying to like earn respect in a meeting because I was teaching them about this stuff. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. I, I know there are people listening to this podcast right now that are probably in marketing and they feel like they're being defensive when they go into meetings and sharing data and analytics and stuff. And the best way around that is to teach people. Like, mm. don't be arrogant and be like, these are the numbers. And also, you know what else is dumb? Don't just share good numbers. That's the other part that I hate too. Like, I think you should always have some bad numbers too that you share. Like, if you find something that's not going well, I feel like everyone's like, oh, it's sunshine and rainbows. We want to keep morale up. Be like, no, you should be like, check this out. We did this one thing. This completely dudded. I don't know what happened, but this is the analytics for this, this AdWords campaign. Hey, sales, maybe don't talk about this value prop we used for the H1 in this landing page because it didn't land. Like, that's an example of what you can do with the negative stuff. Instead, we're all like trying to make up and be like, no, I'm valid. I'm important to the company. And that, that's actually like, you don't need to do that. Just assume that's a given here. Got it. Yeah. So then, and then like, do you think that earns you more trust the reverse way because you're willing to like, hey, this is like a full story. It's like not, not just the wins, not just the good things, but you're being willing to share like what didn't work and the company still finds that valuable. It's still like, okay, yeah, you know, this yeah. didn't work. And the other thing it does is it fixes your relationship with other departments. Our, our, at the time, he's he's now doing a different role at Lead IQ, but uh, Tyra Lang, who is the VP of sales at Lead IQ, 
I would call him sometimes, but like, hey, dude, I feel like crap. This thing didn't work. We'd literally laugh about it and be like, oh, well, let's try this instead. And like Tyler was, I had a really good relationship with Tyler and I could talk to him about this stuff because I went to him when things weren't working. There's, mm -hmm. I, I, I go to, like I do sometimes, I do some consulting for some companies and stuff and I'll see some friction between sales and marketing a lot of the time because like you assume that they're there to pick you apart and, and sometimes you're going to have that happen at a place. And if that's happening and you feel like you're not winning or you can't figure it out, the best way to do it is like be vulnerable with those people and talk about it. And Tyler would do the same thing with me if something wasn't working and that relationship worked really well. Um, so like I, I, I think you earn trust by educating people and when you earn that trust it gives it gives you another resource that you can use to go to market and get something out there and measure it and use the analytics and figure out if it's working or not um yeah. another thing we could do too is like i sometimes would go grab someone um i might if i go make a couple videos with a rep and they're not doing well online when then we put them out i used to be like oh well i don't i'm not going to retire that rep i'm going to show them stuff that did work and then coach them up and see if I can figure out a way to do stuff with them too. So I know I'm being like, hopefully I'm not being too tactical. I'm just trying to get everyone this idea. I'm scratching on something here about like, it's really about people and it's about putting people out there and connecting them with other people um, and figure out a way to, to do that and do that and measure it, but use the measurement to, as an education piece. Yeah. That's kind no, of what this I'm is, to say. This is incredibly valuable to me. Um, I, I think this is all super helpful. Um, the, I want to go back to something you said as well. Um, how often were you, so when you're doing this activity and you are measuring, but you're not being obsessed, you're not being paralyzed by the numbers, what would your advice be to listeners that like, they want you know, founders, marketing leaders, they, they know they need to leverage data a little bit more and be a mm -hmm. little bit more, um, aware of what, like using data to inform the qualitative maybe, um, or some of like their gut decisions, how often do you think is appropriate? Do you have any thoughts or guidance around like, are you, like, were you checking these numbers? Were you analyzing social post performance, for example, like cumulatively once a month? I'm curious what your take is. You've obviously, you know, led yeah. at, a, at a huge size. So, so what, what I would do, um, I try and give some people ownership on it so that it becomes a discussion point again, goes back to people. I'll give you a really good example. We had a summer intern that we hired. Uh, I think it was 2018. It might've been 2019 actually. And we had an intern go through every social post that every employee had made throughout the year and make a spreadsheet about what was the topic, how did it perform, how many likes, how many comments, how many engagements, or any of the people that liked it, uh, customers. Like we would do like literal, literal grunt, grunt work on this stuff. Um, and you know what it did? They'd come to a meeting and it made it because that person's in the meeting and they get a chance to talk. It makes us focus on that analytic, like whatever that medium is or whatever thing that they're measuring. Um, we did that for a summer. And then when that intern was done, they went back to school. We'd get another intern to focus on a different channel. Hey, go analyze all our emails. What's working on this end? We would have ongoing stuff that we'd always look at. We were always looking at uh, traffic, conversion, um, source of traffic uh source of pipeline original source like those are things that we would have staples that we would look at every month and they'd go up and down there'd be think time months you know there you know how it is usually like november december you have a dip usually if like people are on holiday um we always at lead iq had a dip at the end of the month because sales reps are focused on hitting quota at the end of the month so they're not visiting 
our content or our pages usually the third week, fourth week of the month if that's happening. But like there are some staple things that we would always look at. Um, the, the, the way that we would get around that though, is we just make sure that every person owned a piece of the analytics on that end. So if you went and did a cool project, we'd be like, cool, can you go get numbers on whether this worked or not? Um, like that's kind of an important piece of this too. So, and by the way, we're doing the same thing with requests for meeting right now. Like we're each posting our own stuff. We're trying things out. We're seeing what's sticking, what's not sticking. Uh, we've tried different value props. Some people are using requests for meeting because they get paid to get pitched. Some people are using requests for meeting because they get less cold emails. We don't know which one's going to win. They're, they're mm. fighting each other right now. I can probably only use one value prop. It's an early stage startup. We're still figuring out our product marketing for this, but we, we know our product does both those things. Sure, we'll make content and talk tracks around both of them, but I need to see which one converts higher. Um, yeah. I literally did a poll two weeks ago where I asked this. I said, which one's more important to you, getting paid to get pitched or, or um, uh, getting less cold emails? And the poll's like 50-50. I'm like, damn it, <laughs> that doesn't help me. <laughs> but like, you know, you you get feelers on this stuff and constantly check it. Um, we But we do wrap-ups on these things. I honestly recommend if you're a marketing team, I would do a weekly analytics meeting. And it's not something where you go and like panic and put a bunch of numbers together and lose time. It's you, you literally hang out on a zoom and say, what do you guys want to look at today? What are some cool things we can look at? Don't make, everyone thinks you need to have an agenda for zoom. And I know you're probably listening to this, but like, this would drive me nuts. But like, you know what I miss? I miss being in an office with somebody and bumping their desk and be like, Hey, what are you working on? Cool. Do you want to talk and go look at this stuff? And like, we used to just go in rooms and look at charts and figure stuff out in our analytics platforms. And you don't have that anymore. So just do that on zoom. Like, hey, yeah. it's our weekly, it's our weekly analytics meeting. What do we want to poke around this week? What are some th things we want to measure next week? Okay, let's connect up with some apps and make this happen. Plug data box. <laughs> <laughs> I was not paid for this. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. It's true. We uh we did not pay him to talk about our product twice in this interview. Um, all right. I want to be respectful of your time. I'm gonna do two two last rapid questions. You're looking at data, something does not appear to be working but it's something like a podcast, which you know requires investment or maybe it's SDO or something. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts on, or like, you know, you're starting from scratch, building your personal following on LinkedIn. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, when do you bail? Would, yeah, <laughs> when do you bail? And, and what, how does data inform that decision? I think you need a blend of qualitative and quantitative. Qualitative, obviously, is focused on an output. Is revenue growing? Are people signing up? How many people signed up? Are they using it? What's your monthly active users? That's me right now. That's the mindset I'm in. The qualitative part is I'm having conversations with customers every day. And I ask some of the questions that I'd ask looking, the same questions that you'd ask looking at a sample set of a thousand users is the same questions I'm going to ask that person on a call. Hey, how often are you using this? How often are you getting cold prospect? Do you feel like your inbox is unusable? Like you got to do non-leading questions. That's probably a little leading right there. But like, what do you do when you get a cold email? These are things that I'm asking because guess what? When I run my analytics reports, I'm looking and saying, what are our users doing when they get cold emailed? It's the same parallel. I think you need both of those things. Um, and as I said earlier, my magic number for qualitative is, thir uh, qualitative is 30. Quantitative, it, it really depends on your sample size. But you know, you want hundreds to a thousands, depending on how big your sample size is on that. If you're someone that's working and you're a VP of marketing here at a larger company, you want thousands. If you're at a smaller company, take what you can get, take hundreds. 
Yeah. I would much, I, but that's sort of what I would do. I'd take both those things and say, this is what I'm hearing from individuals. This is what I'm hearing from the data that we're collecting with our analytics. Um, and then you can make decisions on that. The general rule of thumb though is you, they usually are the same answer. That's the cool part is like, if you go and sit down and talk to people, you'll get quotes and be like, this is what this person said on this zoom with me. And then you can go over and look and be like, Mm, that might be what the problem is here. Let's go look into that. And then next time you do a call with someone, go to a little deeper in that question. Awesome. Um, that's how I think about it. Yeah. Like make, you want your qualitative and quantitative questions to be the same. Got it. Okay. Yep. And then bringing it all the way back um, to where we started um, specifically on request for meeting, you mentioned revenue and pipeline, you're tracking you know you need to start there. As an early stage company, for any listeners that are at an early stage company, they're just getting off the ground like you. Are, are there any other like numbers you look at that are important to you without this historic data? What numbers besides pipeline revenue are important to you? Whether it's social impressions or like I set yep. a goal yep. that I've got to put out five social posts every week or whatever. Yeah. Um, our most important thing right now is getting buyers on the platform. And so if you're listening to this, obviously I'd like you to use request for meeting. We're only Gmail right now, but you could use it for Google workplace. My goal is I have a number. We want 150 different companies using this, but that that's my number right now. I'd like to get to the 150 number by the end of end of February. That's what we're aiming for. And then we'll have another goal that's 200 the next month. And after that, it might be a thousand by the end of the year. But the, the whole point is, you can't just have a goal being like, yeah, we're just going to make this and hope. You need an actual endpoint. I know if I get users, I'll get revenue. I know if I get users, I'll get more users because they'll tell other people about it. Uh, our, our NPS has been pretty good. <laughs> um, like those are, those are things that are happening right now. But uh, I, there's, I'm, I wanna, I'm gonna butcher the quote. There's an old quote that says that like, dreams are just dreams, goals have numbers. Mm. You gotta have a number. Um, a lot of startup founders are like, yeah, we're trying to get users every week, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. Set a deadline and set a goal of like, when do I want X users by? And now that becomes your goal. You know what it did? It made me on Sunday message a bunch of people I know on LinkedIn and ask them to sign up. Like that's that's an example of like something I probably wouldn't have done till I set that goal, that 150 number. And next week it'll be like, next week it'll be 200 and we'll keep doing stuff and doing different tactics. We're slowly going to be building out our marketing stack so that we can do the stuff that we did at WeedIQ with webinars and programs and stuff. Can't do it yet. Not enough time. Yeah. But like once we, once we have some data and some, uh, we can make informed decisions on stuff, we'll then go focus on getting more users on. But that's how I, that's how I think about it. Like you got to have an actual hard number. And when that hard number gets there, you move to the next hard number. The thing that might change is the timeline. You might say, well, we're not going to hit 150 right now. Um. Okay, let's change the number. No, no, no. Don't change the number. Just change the time that that you hit that number. If you're going to be short of that goal. Awesome, Ryan. This has been. Super I don't know. Helpful. Is it been good? I feel like I feel this like I might have upset awesome. the data worms, the the da no. data nerds out there. <laughs> no, I told you. Right, Ryan was really kind. He said at the beginning of the interview, like, I don't want to say anything. You know, that's a kid. And I was like, we've had people on the show that are like, we don't measure anything, and I'm like, you, <laughs> like it doesn't. What's interesting to us or to me, you know, hosting it is like every business is different. Stages are different. Products are different. Team sizes are different. No one's going to do everything the exact same way. What I want to do is kind of hopefully unpack it, like 
I want to cast a vision for a lot of different ways to use data to grow, you know, whether, and some people are on the spectrum of like, we've only got a couple KPIs that are indicators that we're going the right direction. Some people measure everything and look at it every day. And I feel like this was a lot more like good tactical. Yeah, I just want people to go get tactical ideas of this thing. And if you want to talk to me, if you listen to this and you're like, Hey, I have other ideas, message me on LinkedIn and I can, I'm happy to help too. Um, I do want to note, you definitely should use stuff that automates as much data gathering as possible and displays it somewhere great so that you don't have to spend time doing it. And you could spend more time making decisions instead of crunching numbers like a calculating accountant from 1920. <laughs> like a Neanderthal. Typing, typing and be like, mashy. <laughs> I don't know why I picture like, you know, the weird brim hat with the little paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's but... how people are doing analytics now. <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen, you've been generous with your time. We're 10 minutes over what I told you, what I promised you would be. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And listeners, go to uh, requestformeeting.com and connect with Ryan on LinkedIn. Follow him. Um, for real, the product sounds awesome. Yeah, you can sign up on the site. Um, again, we don't have an Outlook integration yet, but that's next. So be cool if you use Outlook. Keep waiting. Be patient. Follow Do me. I'll let you know. or something? What's up? Do you have like a waiting list? Like if people have Outlook and they joined, is like, I haven't oh, come made soon. I haven't made that yet. I do need to okay. make that. I need no to worries. make a landing page like got Outlook. Click here or something. I'll I'll do something like that. If you want to know, if you want to follow that, follow me on LinkedIn or follow request meeting. We'll announce it on there. Still, the big thing is like we're making iterations on stuff with Gmail, like from feedback from customers, and I don't want to have to go redo that when we do the Outlook integration. I'd rather get it right with Gmail first. So yep, and there's 100%. 35 million businesses using it. So like using Gmail. So it's like, why, yeah. why abandon that? Long, weird tangent. I'm sorry. Good times, everybody. Hopefully we didn't let you down. If we did, I promise it was Jeremiah. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I sabotaged Ryan's episode. Yeah, All right. Thanks fine. for that's listening, fine. everyone. Thank you for coming on, Ryan. Bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.